0: Technology and the Sea Fascination Marine Technology A podcast by Bärbel Feening in cooperation with the German Association for Marine Technology, GMT Welcome to this podcast episode that is all about the color of the sea and how each of us can support marine research by using a free app to photograph the water, your river or the ocean in all countries around the world. We'll find out what it's all about from Oliver Zielinski in a moment. He's a physicist, marine and technology researcher, Professor of Marine Sensor Systems at the Institute for the Chemistry and Biology of the Sea at the University of Oldenburg since 2011 and Head of the Marine Perception Research Area at the German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence since 2019. Artificial intelligence also plays a big role here in this podcast episode. Oliver Zielinski takes us into his world of research. He's a man full of passion for the sea and for new technical possibilities, which is why he developed the app. But let him tell us about that himself. Oliver Zielinski, the color of the sea plays a decisive role for you. Which color is your favorite?
1: Turquoise, definitely, because it reflects the influx of glacial flour, which is a very very fine sediment uh, especially in greenland and which is affecting the watercolor and makes it milky but also bluish turquoise and i love that a lot
0: what does this fascination for the color of the sea come from
1: well i observed ocean color pretty late during my phd studies when i was on board and i was looking through the moon pool which is a uh, um, Basically a hole in the, in the vessel where you can lower instrumentation and, um, lowering that instrumentation. I was looking through this moon pool and seeing the water color and it was a bright bluish color. It was north of the Canary Islands. And while we were moving to the coast towards Morocco, uh, it was turning into green, a really beautiful green. And I was fascinated by that color. And I thought about, well, what are the processes behind it? How does it happen that this color uh, is uh, reflecting, obviously, the water column? And uh, yeah, that was my initial moment where I decided to investigate on watercolor.
0: What does the color of the water indicate? What does it tell you about the quality of the water?
1: the color is directly connected to its constituents uh, water itself is blue even if you don't recognize it if you have a a glass of tap water on the on the table you will see the water is transparent but start even with a with a longer distance if you have a meter or two meter of water where you're looking through even very clear water without any substances in it you will recognize that the water is is turning bluish because it um, absorbs the red light and it scatters more the blue light if you add algae to that you will see that the water turns greenish due to the absorption properties of the algae if you put sediments in it, it will be grayish. If you have dissolved organic material in it, like leaves are so degraded, it will be uh, yellowish. So yeah, looking at the water color directly uh, indicates what is in there. And and that's what we use with our observational methods.
0: Many, many years before there have been scientists who focused on the color of the water as well. And that's the Base for your work now, Forel and Uhle. What can you tell us about them?
1: Antoine Forel and Willy Uhle, they developed in 1895, so approximately nearly 130 years ago. Um, a color scale of 21 colors Um, they wanted to establish a a framework for observing the color and noting them and observing them in a reference system and so they took three basic chemicals and they mixed them and uh, the result were 21 colors from indigo blue through uh, a greenish color to coca cola brown And, and with these 21 colors they could reflect or provide a scale which is able to reflect the nature colors of the sea, which are observed not only on the ocean, but also inland waters. A very good achievement. And uh, over the last more than 100 years, this method was applied worldwide uh, nearly 300,000 times. So there's a, a huge data set, which is really a gift from the past.
0: And now you, you developed the modern version of this method. You developed an app, Eye on Water, and everybody can support you. By taking a picture of water tell us more about this app and about what you want to receive with it
1: nearly 10 years ago um, a friend of mine uh, marcel vernon from uh, from the netherlands and i we were sharing our experiences and our fondness of these historical methods and we both loved them these simple methods which can be used uh, without any electricity and which had been used for centuries and we thought about well how can we transfer such a brilliant but very simple method to modern days? And then we came up with the idea of an app so that we can have a smartphone application where uh, citizens can take images from the water and which helps them to classify them in the way that Pharrell and Ule did. So to link the modern observations from citizens to the historic observations and build up a larger database and that was really the the um, first initial step we started with an eu project which was called sit we we had a lot of lessons learned along the way and the final product was ion water which now is uh, operational for many years and has users all around the globe
0: how does the app work what can we do to
1: support you First of all, you you download it from either the App Store or Google Play Store. It's uh, Eye on Water minus Color. And uh, this app is then uh, installed on your smartphone. It's using the camera and the GPS. Uh, it has a small intro, which explains a bit the methodology. Um, so what you do is you go to a location where you can uh, access water. You need access to water where it's deep enough, where you don't see the bottom so that you don't get any reflections from the bottom. Could be a jetty or on a boat. And then you take a picture from the water um, with the sun in the back. The sun in the back is important because it prevents from sun glitter, from these reflections of the sun, which you see when the sun is in front of you. So with the sun in the back, you take the picture from the water and then you... Look at the app, and then the app offers you the same 21 colors that Forel and Ule invented, and you can swipe and then select which color suits best to your observation. The data is sent to a database. Uh, there's also another algorithm running which is looking automatically at the image and also classifies it in an automatic way. And all this information is then uploaded on a database, and then you can access it. You can go to your laptop or also take the smartphone. And um, look at ionwater.org. And there you can see all the data that you and all the other people worldwide observed, and you can connect it to other observations. And that's
0: very fascinating to have a look at the map and to see where all these data have been collected. What do you need the data for?
1: So the the data set, first of all, is freely available for everyone. So it's freely downloadable, and and also the historic data, but also the recent data, the observations. We look for long term changes. We investigate how does the color change over longer timescales. So we we start with the historical observation, and we go to the modern observations, and we see how the color changes. For example, the the North Atlantic gets more bluish because there's less exchange of nutrients from lower levels. The coastlines get more greenish because they have a stronger influx of nutrients, also from fertilizers, from uh, anthropogenic use. With changes in the watercolour over longer timescales, we can see how we as human beings affect the oceans and the coastlines. But also there are users which do it differently. They, they have very regional or local observation programs. For example, there are people, researchers in New Zealand and they investigate on New Zealand lakes. There are several lakes on, on the, on the two islands and they have a measurement program where they use ion water observations frequently. And then they use these data for analysis of the behavior and, and the status of the ecosystems. There are also users in Canada, which do it like that, and also in Africa. So there are very individual ways of looking at the data and using it. Our perspective is more on long-term change, but you can also look for, example, uh, um, increased influxes uh, of nutrients and, and other negative effects if you want.
0: You love innovative technologies, don't you? and to find ways to use them in your science.
1: Indeed, I I like um being innovative and and try to develop new methodologies which enable us to see things that we cannot do before. I mean it's like like assessing um ecosystem status, looking for nutrients, pollutants, really enabling science through technology. But what is also important for me is that this enablement is used by, by many scientists or by the society. So I, I want also the outreach of it. I, I want to provide people with tools and toolboxes, which they can use sensors and methods for the analysis, which can be used on a larger scale and which helps us to advance society or transform society. So it's not only about inventing something. It's also about transferring it. And, and in that way, I also collaborate strongly with uh, companies, because I believe that they have the power to really provide a robust product to the customer, which I find also very relevant here.
0: Not only are you are a professor for marine sensor systems at the University of Oldenburg, but also you are head of marine perception research area at the German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence and artificial intelligence is the next keyword because you developed a way how artificial intelligence can help to track plastic pollution
1: plastic is really a boon and a bane it is uh, it's it's a great product it uh, it can help us to package food or or make window frames or something like that so it's it's a product with very good properties and it's long lasting and flexible but that's also the problem i mean plastic will survive for hundreds of years and is then degraded to microplastic. so plastic is getting to the environment and we have to do something about it and um i was addressed three years ago by world bank uh, they came across me since I was working on a different project in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch with hyperspectral sensing. But then they they asked me, can we have some methodology where we can assess, measure, quantify and classify the plastic which is prominent in the environment and rivers and beaches in Cambodia? I thought about this topic and and how to address it. And I decided very early that I wouldn't go for high-tech sensors here because they are not affordable, but I wanted to have something which is really commercially of the shelf available. So I took drones and cameras, which are commercially available for the people there. And I then developed with my team here a methodology where AI is used to investigate on these images and to detect where the litter is, where the plastic is, to classify what type of litter it is and also to provide statistic information, which is then used for the, for example, for stakeholders to change policies. So AI, artificial intelligence, was used here to really classify millions of images instantly and to provide a really huge oversight. That was also transferred now to many other countries in Asia, but also Europe. And I think this is a good example where we can see that data analysis with AI can really bring us forward.
0: How does it work exactly? You supply drones with sensors?
1: The drones are used locally and I supply the information, which drone they should use, which sensor they use. So the local partners, they purchase the drones and they operate them. I'm a drone pilot myself, but I operate drones in Germany or under European law, and especially if you go to Asia, so it makes much more sense to collaborate with local partners. They fly patterns in an operational way that we provide, so telling them about the height and the patterns that we need and the way how a good image is made. Then we get the data. And then the data is analyzed in a two-step AI procedure. It's a deep learning system, which was trained with hundreds of thousands of images that were previously labeled by human beings. And uh, so the, the large image is separated in small tiles, and these individual tiles are then characterized. It is a very um, straightforward procedure, a two-step analysis, and a very robust one, which we could transfer also from Asia to Europe. And along the last three years, we learned a lot how to improve it. But but it's very important for me that we also made it publicly available. So the way how we do it and also the code and the data set is available so that people can use it and transfer it.
0: How can this be applied in the future? What's your perspective?
1: I think that... We can, first of all, transfer that on several platforms. So we used the same approach and transferred it to um, to cameras installed under bridges to monitor what the river influx or outflux of plastic litter is. We installed the same system on a garbage collection boat uh, coming here from Germany, from Berkey, and in collaboration with EverWave and NGO And we quantify now the litter which is lifted on board this vessel so that the recycling company at the end will know also what kind of litter they have, how they can treat it best, how they can make the best product out of it. And also recently we started a project um, transferring the same methodology on aircraft so that we come from a higher altitude that we have a a more overview, maybe less detail, but we can cover larger areas and go also to, to uh, very remote spots. So my vision really is a multi-scale methodology that can be transferred from satellite aircraft drone to boat. And which covers the whole also chain of detecting, classifying, but also recycling in the best way that we can have.
0: And there you've come full circle because the aircraft has been very important at the beginning of your career looking on oil pollution from the aircraft. And now you use the aircraft to have a look at Plastic pollution and plastic waste with your sensors?
1: Well, 20 years ago, my first position was really in uh, maritime pollution control. And maritime pollution at that time was oil. It was oil spills, illegal spills from vessels or also catastrophes, so... um, a tanker who sunk or so, and then to detect these spills, to combat these spills. And I was uh, part of uh, a company called Optimare, and they developed sensors for these aircraft. I was... Involved in this project, I, I, I entered the company and I was responsible then for some of the projects. And indeed, I was on board of an aircraft and flying over the North Sea or over the Gulf of Thailand and looking for oil spills, developing the technology that people could use to, to take care of their environment. Nowadays, the challenge is. Still oil, there's still oil pollution and, and so happening, but the next challenge is really plastic. And so my incentive is here to enable the same aircraft that are now looking for oil spills also to look for the new threat that we have for the new challenge. And that's plastic in the environment, in the marine environment.
0: Can I say that's marine technology used in the air?
1: Absolutely. Marine technology is not only on the surface of the water or deep below the water line, it is also in the air. So, uh marine technology is really coming from space to seabed. It is uh, also spaceborne application, it's airborne application, it's drones and nowadays these are really important components which are part of most of the research missions but also of the commercial operations. For me as a sensor guy, I'm developing sensors and data streams and analysis. It's not really so important what the platform is. I develop sensors which are suitable for underwater platforms, for AOVs, ROVs, but also for drones and aircraft. But of course, um, yeah, marine technology is covering all these platforms. And it needs really an holistic perspective to uh, tackle environmental or technical problems, and we just have to use the best technology for that.
0: And as far as I understand you, you want us to better understand this highly complex marine ecosystem in modern ways, with modern approaches. You are very passionate about physics since your childhood. Are you also passionate about the ocean or about marine tech or how did it come that you combined both?
1: I think I was always fascinated by complex interactions and uh, Alexander von Humboldt said already in 1803 uh, everything is interaction. And that's also what is really driving me. So I was, even in school, I was fascinated by physical properties and how they behave and how things interact. I was also fascinated by IT. So I learned programming early. And so that was uh, really what what drove me to studying physics. But during this studying physics, I recognized that I'd like to look into other disciplines. I like to collaborate. And when I entered my PhD, which was in marine physics, I really learned to work with people from other disciplines. I learned new words like cocolatophorides or foraminifers, organisms which I haven't heard about and, and which are really relevant for the, for the climate. And I wanted to understand that and how they interact with light and with physical properties. So I think I transformed a bit from a, a classical physicist towards a marine physicist or me, either, even, even a, a natural scientist and technology uh, guy. And, um, that really was my, initial uh, moment also when I was at sea to really learn about how everything is interconnected. And uh, so my love for the sea is more born on a later stage, but my my passion for physics was very early visible and I cannot hide that. It's still there.
0: What importance will artificial intelligence have in the future?
1: Artificial intelligence will help us to Make informed decisions. That's my belief. I I don't think we have to fear AI. It's not that there will be a super intelligence that will rule us all. It's more about understanding a very complex world. Many mechanisms in in our modern world are very complex. and, And transforming our world towards a more sustainable way really requires informed decisions by us citizens and by policymakers. And uh with AI and sensors and data analysis, etc., we can contribute to that and we can help to, to show the patterns that really matter. I also want to measure when it really matters. That's my incentive here. I don't want to measure all the time. I, I think that it's relevant that sensors learn to look at the processes when it really matters, when things are changing. And when things are not changing, they can go to idle and sleep a bit take the samples when it's relevant, and bringing the intelligence on the platform and bringing it there where it matters. That's also one of the beliefs I have and, and one of the visions I have. But generally speaking, I think AI can really help us to, um, to support the human being, not to exchange a human being.
0: Thank you very much, Oliver Zelinsky. Thank you that you told us about your science and that you showed us a way how we can support you.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure. And, and I hope to see you all an eye on water and uh, spread the word how we can uh, make this place a better world and, and prevent also a bit of the, of the littering that we have around us. So if we can contribute to that with observation and also with changing our ways of living, it would be great.
0: That was today's podcast episode. I talked to Oliver Zielinski. He is a physicist, marine and technology researcher, professor of marine sensor systems at the Institute for the Chemistry and Biology of the Marine Environment at the University of Oldenburg, and scientific director of the Marine Perception Research Group at the German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence. We'll have the next episode in two weeks. I recommend subscribing to this podcast, which is also available in German. Technik und mehr Faszination Meerestechnik. Thanks for a positive rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and bye. Technology and the sea. Fascination marine technology. Podcast by Bärbel Feening in cooperation with the German Association for Marine Technology, GMT.